Well, first, they're the only four, four Gold Star family of World War II. Um, and again, um, the, the most, I, I suppose, the word disappointing thing about it is nobody knows their name. And what drove me was I just couldn't understand how a family could lose so much in any war, but in during World War II, how they could lose so much. And nobody knows their name. You're listening to the Stories Behind the Stars podcast, and I'm your host, Tatiana Fallon. This podcast is run by the organization Stories Behind the Stars. We have the goal of writing a story for every service American service member killed during World War II. That's over 420,000. We're accomplishing this goal through amazing volunteers who you will hear in this podcast as they research and write these stories. If you're at all interested in becoming a volunteer and researching and writing these stories, please check us out at storiesbehindthestars.org. Thank you so much for your time, and I hope you enjoy this amazing content that we're finding. Today's episode is part one of a two-part episode with researcher and author Mark Hudson. He recently published a book called So Costly a Sacrifice. I would go check it out. I'll put the link in the description below. Definitely worth the read. I read it. It was phenomenal. Like all of our authors, well worth the time. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. Uh, today, I have the honor and privilege of speaking with researcher and writer Mark Hudson. Um, Mark, would you take a second and introduce yourself to our listeners? Yes. Well, and, and first of all, it, it, it's an honor and truly a pr- privilege to be part of this. So, I want to thank you. Uh, I want to thank you so much for uh, for having me. And uh, so, but uh, I'm an uh, I'm, I am an Army veteran of of seven years. Uh, I served from uh, 1981 to 87, which seems like such a long time ago. Um, I'm a graduate of uh, Army Airborne School, uh, Army Air Assault School, and uh, the Drill Instructor Academy at at, at Fort Benning uh, in Georgia. Um, after uh, after graduating the, the academy, I served as a DI at Fort Benning for two years. And I always tell people it was it was probably the hardest two two of the hardest years of my life. And people say, "Well, how could it be the hardest two years of, uh, years of your life? It should be uh, it should be the other way around." But uh, but uh, and then I in '87 uh, I I was honor, honorably discharged and uh, I moved back to Harvard, Illinois, where I currently reside. And um, I be- began my career at a uh, at an electrical equipment manufacturer in Chicago, where uh, I'm still today after 33 years, and and currently serve as the vice president. So that's uh, that's the work side of it for the most part. And uh, Christine, my wife of 32 years, um, she and I have uh, we we have an antique business, and uh, where we specialize in our in architectural and, and industrial uh, antiques, and we do markets all over the country. Um, and uh, somewhat how I got into to writing the book, but in, in 2012, I founded Service Flag Tradition. And uh, it's really, it became, it became a, a, a traveling program uh, that I focused on, 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 on three missions. 
Um, one was to educate people on the history of the gold and the Blue Star Service flag. Um, two, uh, I often shared stories of veterans, of stories of, of veterans that I had read and, and actually those that we had met at several, several of our events. And, uh, and also as a member of the Post 288 in Cedarbrook, Wisconsin, <clears throat> I present service flags uh, to family who currently have loved ones serving in armed forces. So, um, you know, it's uh, to give you want to get an idea of, of what uh, our events look like. Um, I do have a website, uh, which is uh, serviceflagtradition.com. There's several pictures of an event that we held at Mequon. If, uh, and it kind of gives you a good idea of uh, of uh, how how and what we set up at these events. So, so then, what brought you to writing then doing research about Gold Star family and particularly the Borson brothers? Yeah, well, in ter terms of the service flag, um, it, it really. So I mentioned that my wife and I do antiques, and uh, so. 2012, we um, we were we were actually taking a day off. It had been a long summer already, and uh, we were taking a day off and uh, just kind of traveling the back roads of Illinois. And in some ways, unfortunately, we came upon an auction sign, and uh, and I knew what that meant. I knew I knew the day off was done. Um, so we ended up going to this to this farm auction, and at this farm auction, there was a there was a an old dairy barn and inside the dairy barn there was a cabinet an old primitive cabinet that we took interest in and the funny thing there was nothing in this cabinet whatsoever and so my wife and I were kind of looking over the cabinet you know opening the drawers and and uh you know just checking it out and uh, as I opened up the bottom drawer a serve a, a flag had rolled forward in the drawer and I and I unfurled the flag and 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 at the time I'm ashamed to say, especially after serving seven years in the military, I didn't exactly know what it was. I knew it had a connection to the to military service somehow, but I wasn't exactly sure. Um, so I felt uh, I just felt the need that I that I that I had to have the service flag. So the service flag ended up costing us over four hundred dollars because I had to buy the cabinet to get the flag. And uh, and that night I when I got home. Um, I started to dig into exactly what this flag meant and what it represented. And uh, after, uh, and so that then parlayed into, um, I, I was just, I was just, um, just really focused on, on, uh, on collecting service flags. Um, and so after a couple of years, we, uh, the houses, uh, the house is filled with bins and bins of service flags of every size and shape. And, uh, and, uh, we, um, started to travel with our collection. And so, um, one of the stories, uh, along with the setting up this, this large display, like I mentioned, we also, uh, I would also tell stories of our veterans. And one of the stories that I often told was the Sullivan brothers. And, uh, <clears throat> You know, one night I, I wanted to get just a little more detail about their story. 
And I started just researching on the computer and I, and I came across the name Borgstrom. Um, and I had, I had never heard this name. I had no idea who they were. Um, and, and not that I'm, uh, some military his, historian, but I was just intrigued about the story. And what I suppose kind of bothered me most was, uh, was the fact that again, that I, I, I had never heard this name. And so I started researching, uh, their story. And, uh, so one of the thoughts that I had was, well, if, if I, if, Am I the only one that didn't hear of this family that didn't know anything about this family? So as we held additional events, um, I started to ask the audience, I'd ask them two questions. Say, has anybody, you know, by show of hands, how many people have heard of the Sullivan brothers? And, and I would often get a pretty good share of hands. Um, and and I, the follow-up question would be, would be, you know, okay, well, who, who, who here has heard of the Borstroms? And I will say in over two years at all the events that we that we have done, I never had one hand that was raised. And uh, that really struck me and quite honestly, it really bothered me. Um, and I felt at that point, um, uh, I, I felt that I needed to to get there to get their story out. Um, and so to do that, you know, I had to know more than what was just online. So. Um, I ended up, my wife and I, we ended up traveling and taking our service flag display all the way out to Tremont in Utah. Um, and we, when, before we went, I had talked to a lady out there. She's uh she's like a local historian. And I had asked her, I said, Hey, you know, if, if we come out and do this, I'd, I'd like to make two requests. And one request would be, you know, could we get some home cooked meals after, after se several days on the road? And the other request was, you know, would it be possible to meet any of the members of the Borson family? And, uh, you know, she responded. She said, "Well, I can promise you home cooked meals, but she says I, I can't. I can't promise you that. You know, I can get, you know, any of the Borsham family members to come, you know, and meet you." So, nothing ventured, nothing gained, and uh, and we took off. And uh, it was a very expensive trip. We blew a transmission in Salt Lake City. That was five thousand dollars. <laughs> and uh, but ultimately, we made it to our to our destination and. Uh, and we set up at a little at a little community center. Uh, it was on a Friday, and uh, the whole time, you know, I'm just you know just so curious of whether or not I was going to get the opportunity to meet any abortion family members. So, along comes Saturday morning, and uh, and 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 people start to start to come into the community center. And as it turns out, uh, I had the privilege of meeting about fifteen to 20 of the fa of the Borsham uh, family members. And it was just an unbelievable experience. And, uh, and all day uh, they took, uh, my wife, Christine and I, they took us around to, to in this small town of Thatcher, Utah. It's, it's north of Salt Lake City, about a hundred miles. And uh, they took us, you know, to the, to the home of, of, of the Borgstroms. Um, they took us to the tabernacle where in 1948, they had the services for the, for the, for the sons. Um, and then they took us to the, to the Riverview Cemetery. And as we're standing at the, at the gravesite of the mother and the father and the, and, and the four boys, there was something that made me, uh, make a promise 
to Randy Borgstrom. Now, Randy Borgstrom is this, there was one son that survived and, and he had, he had five children. And, uh, as we're standing there, I made a promise to Randy. I said, Randy, I said, I'm going to write the story about your family. And admittedly, I was way over my skis because I had never written anything in my life other than, <laughs> other than performance reviews. Um, I had no idea what I was getting into, but I just knew that I, I had to do this and, um, and that I would not let this family down. And so, uh, for the next five years, uh, I, well, actually when I, we got home, I immediately started my research and, uh, five years later, uh, the book is uh, so costly sacrifice was published. So, so for those that that's like amazing, amazing story. Um, I've driven across the United States four times and it is, a, it is quite <laughs> the experience. It's not a very fun trip. Yes. So to lose a transmission is so like is horrible. <laughs> but um, so to just real quick to our leaders, our readers or listeners, sorry, who have never um, heard of the Borgstrom brothers, can you just tell us what exactly is like why why is their story so poignant and important story of World War II history? Well, first they're the only four four Gold Star family of World War II. Um, and again, um, the, the most, I, I suppose, the word disappointing thing about it is nobody knows their name. And what drove me was I just couldn't understand how a family could lose so much um, in, 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 in any war, but in during World War II, how they could lose so much. And nobody knows their name. And uh, they... Um, you know, I always say it's like, you know, what it's, it's, you know, what is, you know, when you think about what is it, what is the, the book about, you know, and I say, well, it's a true, it's a, it's a true story about the Borgson family from World War II. And uh, in less than six months, you know, they, you know, the mother and father experienced unspeakable loss when four of their four, four of their five sons uh, who served in the war were killed. Um, it's also the story, it's about their one son who survived the war, but he struggled mightily his entire life after the war with endless guilt. And, um, but, it's, but it's also the story of a family that was, they were deeply loved by their community, um, so much so that when, when their, when their uh, 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 fifth son was known to be alive and still in the Marine Corps, the, their community, the Blue Star Mothers Organization of Utah and politicians of Utah um, rallied in their cause uh, to bring to bring the their one son home. And uh, and then also it's a story about the surviving son, you know, who years uh, of struggling with survivor's guilt. Um, he was finally able to overcome his troubles and redeem himself with with um, the ones who loved him dearly. So there's a lot, I believe that there's a lot of lessons in the book. And one of the things that I was kind of struck by, you know, I'm hoping I'm not getting off on a tangent on you. Um, but one of the things that, that really struck me was, um, again, I'll mention Randy Borgstrom. Um, I sent him a copy of the book and, and, and in, in being transparent over the years of writing, uh, we had very little contact. Um, and, uh, and, and I understand that, 
Um, but when the book was finally published, I, I sent him a copy of it to read. And uh, not only did he send a beautiful lover, letter um, uh, of, of you know how much he appreciated what what uh, what I had done, but um, he had he had he had said one of the things that kind of struck me. He said um, he said you know after reading after reading your book, he said it really wants me. It really makes me want to be a better person. And uh, so again, it's you know yes, it's the story about the you know the, about the family their their loss, uh, but I think there's some good lessons in the book too. I also I really loved how beautifully you you described their home life, what it was like, and and you know what they really gave up when they lost these four sons was you know they were close family they they had you know they were all grew up and they were all pretty close in age and um, you know like what that what that really was a sacrifice for them of, of losing their four sons of so, so close and so together. And maybe that's why, you know, Boyd, I think his name is Boyd, right? The oldest, mm -hmm. or I think, you know, that survivor's guilt also tied with just that, you know, grief. Like that was one thing when I talked to my grandma about losing her brother was, you mm -hmm. know, just sure. the grief that, you know, you had such a close friend and, you know, a sibling who was such a close friend that um, no longer can like talk to or grow up with or, you know, enjoy those things as a family. And I think you did a beautiful job, you know, kind of creating that. And to me, what it made me really want to do is just help my children hmm. have really good relationships with their siblings. Yes. Um, because I saw, even though it was super tragic to, to see what happened in the war, the strength that they did come from their tight bond as siblings. So that yeah. was inspiring to me. Yeah, and you know, you, you make a great point too, you know, when you said first generation, you know, immigrant, you know, here, you know, you know, she just became a nationalized citizen in 1900. And, and so, you know, I, and really didn't have much invested in the country, right? I mean, but they were so willing to give their sons. And I think one, one of the, one of the, uh, in the book, one thing that really points that out um, is after the war um, in 1948, they finally got all their all four boys home, and um, at the uh, they had the they had the the church service, and then right after the church service, they had a luncheon, and um, one of the one of the uh, um, uh, um, notable, notable guys that was at the, uh, at the, at the service was General Mark Clark. And we know during World War II, you know, he served as the, you know, the, um, commander of the, of the fifth army. And, and so he, um, he, he was actually very active, uh, with the funeral service. And, uh, there's a, there's a photograph in the book that at the luncheon, it shows General Mark Clark sitting right next to Gunda and right next to Gunda, of course, is her husband, Elvin. So now they just, they just got done with the funeral service uh, at the church with, you know, with the four um, flag lined coffins and they're at this luncheon. And Gunda had this pressing question that she just needed answered. 
And so the opportunity arose when she's sitting next to General Mark Clark and she leans over and she kind of quietly says to General Mark Clark, you know, please don't take my youngest. Now, her youngest was Eldon and he was too young to serve in World War II, but now he was 19 years old. And um, General Mark Clark, he, he was to some degree kind of caught off off guard with the question and he and he and he told you know he told Gundy he said well you know essentially you know I'll do the best I can and if it if war does break out um I will do he said I will do my best to you know protect him but you know I can't I can't you know I can't make any certain promises I'm interrupting the podcast right now to make a plug for our Arlington project we're in the middle of it right now we're hoping to get these done by the 4th of July, and there's so many amazing stories here to be found. So if you are new to the to the project, please visit storiesbehindthestars.org and click the volunteer button. If you've already been a volunteer and you've just kind of gotten busy, consider giving a little bit more of your time and contacting us to get some names to start doing research for these Arlington stories. They're quite phenomenal and um, just be part of a really amazing national project. Um, and then also, if you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing so that when we put out new episodes, you can be notified and you can listen to these really awesome stories as we're finding them. Well, sitting, so Albin had overheard this. And when he, after the general spoke, he leaned over to, to his wife and he said, he said, mother, he said, if, if our youngest one must go, he will. And I will make no such promises to keep him out of the war. So that's when you think about how remarkable that is and how enduring that is, they just, they just, they're bearing their four boys and now offering in some ways that if something else were to happen, um, they would, they would willingly send, um, their youngest son. So. Wow. So that's like to the Korean conflict that was, you know, obviously mm -hmm. did end up happening. Wow. Yes. 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 <laughs> that's amazing. Yes. That's amazing. I think there just was this a different way of viewing life back then. You know, it's just like, yeah. it really was something that maybe we don't really understand. I think with the Ukrainian conflict happening, people are like, oh, wow, this is maybe understanding a little bit connecting, you know, you see some of those stories of men who are staying behind and getting their yeah. family out and things Absolutely. like that. And, and you think about like, why are these men doing this? Like, why are these people doing this? And you know, um, I had the opportunity to live in the former Soviet Union and, and my brother lived in Ukraine for a while. And wow. one of the things we talked, like, we've talked a lot about it because it's pretty upsetting to us to, to see this happening. But one of the things we're like, you know, it's worth fighting for the, for the freedom to have your children make their own choices in life. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, um, and I, and I think, that's something that because we've been so free for so long that we don't understand it's worth dying so my child can have the ability to be free. And I think that they understood that to a degree that maybe, you know, we need some refreshing, which is, I think, another really powerful thing about this book is you're like, why did this family do this? You know, or and and it's really refreshing to see. And you talk about tell the story about um, the letter that she was gifted uh, from about with Abraham Lincoln. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, so that was um, 
there was a, um, um, and that's actually where the title of the book came was from a so costly sacrifice was from Lincoln's letter. And, um, yeah, there was a gentleman, he was a president of, uh, of, uh, of the, of the local railroad, um, in, uh, I think it's Magna, Utah. And he had read about, and he had, he had a copy of Lincoln's letter to Ms. Bigsby, um, who was thought to have lost five sons in the civil war. And so this letter was written by President Lincoln to Ms. Bigsby. Well, um, so the, this gentleman, he, he read this, he read um, in the newspaper, he read uh, an article about this family um, who had lost, you know, at the time they, they knew they had lost three sons. And uh, he, was, he was so taken by this article that he actually took his copy of the Bigsby letter and presented that to, uh, to Alba and Gunda. And, uh, that's, uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's just, you know, again, just, uh, a, 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 a show of how well respected and loved this family was. And, and uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I love that letter. Like he talks about so costly a sacrifice on the mm -hmm. altars of freedom, I think. Is, yes. I'm not, I don't know the whole quote. No, exactly, you got but, it. No, you're exactly right. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, I feel like that is really a poignant thing to remember um, about how, you know, the alt, there's like this, there is an altar of freedom and, and to just think about what that is, you know, requires to keep that and keep us free. I think it's really quite poignant. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So can you tell, like, give us a little bit of um, a background on the boys, like the, where they served or, or, or what necessarily happened to them. You don't have to tell us everything, but just a little bit like um, uh, some of their background so our listeners can kind of know what happened to the boys. Sure. So, so there were five of their sons at the, at the time, you know, and I, and I, and as I say in the book, I mean, it was a large family, but, you know, we have to remember in, in, in those days, you know, especially in Utah, you know, where farming was a, was a way of life and, a, you know, um, you know, I say, you know, you know, they raised their own help. Um, and, uh, so ultimately they had 10 children and, and, and they knew, um, uh, you know, they just knew, you know, heartache from from the very beginning um and and i say that because um their very first uh, child his name was foran he he actually died uh at the age of 10 of a ruptured appendix in the farmhouse um you know back then they didn't have hospitals and so you know they had no means to get them there and uh you know so they knew tragedy uh you know uh from the very beginning and uh so the the, the five boys that served um uh Two were Marines, uh, Clyde and Boyd. They were the first ones. They were the first ones to enlist, and they enlisted in 1940, and uh, enlisted at the exact you know on the very same day. Their serial numbers are exactly one apart, and um, so they actually joined um, uh, obviously before the war began. Um, and then uh, Leroy, uh, Leroy was he was actually the oldest oldest son. And uh, one striking thing about Leroy was um, he, hate, you know, th think about, you know, in that time, you know, mostly they hunted for their food, but, um, but Leroy had hated guns. He, he always did. 
Um, so when he went into the army, uh, he served as a medic. And um, then there was then there was the two twins. They were just 18 years old at the time, uh, Roland and Rulon. And uh, it was just uh, shortly after high school graduation uh, that they entered the service. Um, and Roland actually went into the Army Air Corps, and Roland ended up serving in the infantry in the um, in uh, in the, the 69th, uh, 69th Division. And so, um, so just to clarify, none of them were drafted; they all volunteered. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, and so um, they um, uh, uh, Clyde. Uh, and Boyd, uh, Boyd was actually the first son to leave the shores uh, of the U.S., and he served on Johnston Island uh, for about 16 months. Um, and uh, when he returned, Clyde, and then Clyde actually went, then he went, and, uh, he went to uh, Guadalcanal. And that was in, that was pretty much after all the fighting was over. Um, but uh, so he served on Guadalcanal. And um uh, he was the first one. He was the first one uh, to be killed, and uh, and that was in March of uh, 1944. Um, after uh, after his death, um, Leroy uh, was the second son, and he served as a medic, and he was in Italy just about a month, and uh, he was um, he was actually killed while carrying a wounded soldier to safety. And, uh, and that was, um, uh, you know, he was just, when he was killed and he was uh, June 22nd of 44, he was, he was 30 years old. Um, and then, uh, after Leroy, uh, in August of 44, Roland, or I'm sorry, Roland, who was serving as a tail gunner on a B-20, on a, on a, a B-24, uh, he was, he was, uh, killed, uh, Actually, and uh, he was killed actually in England. Um, an interesting story about that was he served the the, the plane that he served on uh, at the time of his death. Death was kind of nicknamed uh, the Flying Log, and uh, the the original name of the plane was Pregnant Peg. Now, um, so he never served on Pregnant Peg, and uh, but when uh, uh, in, in, in 40, early 44, the, 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 the crew of the pregnant peg, they, they flew on a mission deep into Germany. And when they, uh, after dropping their bombs, they, they, uh, they headed back, uh, they were headed back to England and, and the plane got shot up pretty bad. Well, it lost most of its hydraulics. Um, but luckily enough, the plane was able to get it. They were able to get the plane back to Shipton, which was the air base where they were stationed at. And so, but when they got back, the landing gear didn't work. Um, cause all the hydraulics were shot out. And so when the plane came in for landing, it, um, pretty much crash landed, but it chewed up, you know, badly damaged the bottom of the plane. So, uh, they, so they decided to repair the plane, uh, and they took it to the repair depot. And what they did is they actually lashed a telephone pole, uh, in the bottom of the plane into, you know, to stiffen the structure of the plane. And, and they put it back in the, in service and hence the name flying log. Um, so, uh, but he, uh, 
he was uh, was his uh, it was his fifth mission that he was that he served on the the uh, the flying log, and uh, you know they went uh, they were headed out for a mission. Um, they were going to bomb an airfield, I believe it was in Romilly, and um, they developed engine trouble. And so they had to head back. Um, and I'll leave the rest of the story for those who read the book. So, um, and then the fourth son was, uh, was Rula and he was, he served, he was serving in France and, uh, and he was killed on August uh, 25th, just two weeks after his twin brother was killed. Um, 